I'm not sure that we are at a point of price stability. That's Karen Harris, the managing director of Bain's Macro Trends Group. The last time we had Karen on the show in early May, she observed that the Fed appeared to have broken the back of core inflation. Today on Drive Powder, Karen and I will consider whether the economy could emerge from this period of rate hikes unscathed. What is clear is a few months ago, people were hoping, or there were certainly a section of the market that thought we'd begin to see rates come down, maybe pretty aggressively in 2024. And that feels like it's much less likely to happen. And a consensus is moving away from that as a likely outcome. I'm Hugh MacArthur, Chairman of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice, and this is Drive Topic. Thanks very much for being on the show today. Really appreciate you stopping by. It's great to be back. I have been thinking a lot about the macro recently because the micro hasn't been taking over as rapidly as I'd like to see it in terms of deal making and repatriating capital to LPs and all those good things that we like to see in the private equity industry. And I recall that the last time we had you on the show in May, you were observing that the Fed really at that point had appeared at least to have done its job and kind of broken the back, if I can use that phrase, of core inflation. Are we able to safely say now that inflation is in the rearview mirror? Let's separate that question into three pieces. Is core inflation back to normal? Was it the Fed that did it? And is the inflation problem now done? We look a lot at the super core inflation measure, which is CPI excluding food, energy, housing, and used vehicles, which sounds a lot like CPI except all the interesting stuff. Essentially, CPI without the volatile sectors and without lagged sectors. So that super core inflation is down to 0.5% annualized over the last three months. So Even when inflation fell in its false plunges during the mid-1970s, this metric never fell below 4%. Looking at this measure since 1990, it's now only at the fifth percentile of all values measured. First, does the Fed get the credit for this? Because whatever caused inflation to go down actually did its work in the first half of 2022. And what's really interesting about that period is we were seeing that disinflation start in Q3 of 2022. So if we look to June 2022, the Fed interest rates target was only one to one and a half percent with super core inflation, that metric I was just talking about, was over 7%. So taking that into account that monetary policy has a lagged impact, it almost seems like the effect preceded the cause as we look at that June 2022 uh, from the Fed's perspective. Actually, a better fit to the timeline that feels more intuitive is coming from the financial markets where you spend your time, Hugh. The S&P 500 drawdown by mid-June was nearly 25%, and the 10-year Treasury bond rate rose 200 basis points from the start of the year, again, looking back at that 2022 period. And GDP notably contracted during the first half of 2022. So as we look back at that six months, it almost looks like the economy engineered its own soft landing after an overheated 2021 triggered a small contraction and a financial market pullback and disinflation. So then to us, the question is, if the Fed didn't start the disinflation of 2022, then what 
did the Fed start with all of these rate rises through 2023, where we are today? Okay, Karen, so that's fascinating. So it does seem like we are making progress from some kind of causal event, whether it was the Fed or something that self-corrected on inflation, and that it may be tamed, at least for the time being, and investors can sort of sit back and say, okay, I'm probably not worried about inflationary numbers, certainly core inflation heading back to seven, eight, nine percent It feels like it is somewhat stable, at least. If we're thinking, therefore, about interest rate prognosis, are we approaching some sort of a a stasis? Are we done raising interest rates? Are we basically where we're going to be? Or are these things actually going to go higher? What should investors be putting into their deal models as they're going year to year to year, assuming they're going to have for interest rates and debt repayments? Well, the headline is the TLDR here is higher for longer. And I feel like the investment community is finally transitioning from the denial to bargaining to acceptance on that. But between here and there, it's important to note that I'm not sure that we are at a point of price stability. When we think about if the economy engineered a soft landing, a soft recession, if we can use that word, in the first half of 2022, our concern is that the current price level isn't actually stable. If we review some of the relative prices of goods and services, we can see that they've become quite scrambled. For example, food is 20% above the pre-pandemic trend where it should have been. And transportation commodities, i.e. vehicles, are 32% above their pre-pandemic trend. Okay, that looks high. That looks like there's still inflation. But personal services are only 6% above and medical care services right at the pre-pandemic level Housing is ostensibly only 7% above trends per the CPI, but the Dallas Fed has housing at nearly 23% above trends, just to help us all out with some consistent data. The overall CPI is only 11% above trends. So our question is whether undershooting categories catch up with that inflation level or overshooting categories catch down. And if it's the former, we could see the dreaded second wave of inflation, which it seems like what the Fed is worried about, to your point. Are we past that? If it's the latter and we see the overshooters catch down, then we get something that most people aren't really contemplating yet in the US, which is deflation. So our overall point is that the price level appears stable over the last three months, but the price level shouldn't be stable. It should either move higher or lower from here. And the question is, is which way? And I think that's part of what's causing so much uncertainty right now. Okay. So still a lack of certainty about where interest rates may go in the future. Uh, But for now, they seem a bit stable. Well, you asked a really good question, which is, are we approaching a terminal interest rate and can investors anchor around that scenario? And we'd love to go back to famed Fed chair William Martin, who said that the task of the Fed is to take away the punch bowl just as the party's getting going. In recent years, it feels more like the Fed's been spiking the punch bowl to keep the party going at least until inflation becomes a problem again. But if we think about Powell at Jackson Hole, uh, his what has been probably accurately termed a hawkish 
speech, he seemed to reinforce the idea that the Fed is here to fight exuberance. So back to the old Martin world. As to the terminal rate, I might flip the question and say it's in the hands of investors. If investors act scared, the Fed may relent. If investors act relieved, the Fed may try to scare them again, which is a very different approach from the theoretical papers submitted at Jackson Hole, which I don't really recommend uh, unless you're struggling with sleep deprivation uh, for the most part. But the economist's theoretical approach of aiming for a clear terminal rate and what is our star being the big conversation, it's the opposite of that. It's saying, let's look out and see what the markets are doing as opposed to maybe holding it until the model's forecast is vindicated. Another point from Jackson Hole and the financial markets are already pricing this in is the, again, the sinking realization that higher for longer is a new reality. One could argue that the inverted yield curve, which is slowly de-inverting through higher long rates, is the visual illustration of financial markets transitioning, uh, again, from that denial and bargaining to acceptance. But to your question, I think while it's unclear that we're at the actual terminal rate, I think what is clear is a few months ago, people were hoping, or there were certainly a section of the market that thought we'd begin to see rates come down, maybe pretty aggressively in 2024. And that feels like it's much less likely to happen. And consensus is moving away from that as a likely outcome. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, Karen, especially as it applies to the United States. I've been hearing a lot that one of the reasons why rates have been forecast to remain high, one of the reasons why they continue to go up, albeit more slowly over time, is that the economy doesn't seem to be slowing enough for the Fed's liking, that that exuberance, if you will. Employment remains high. Wage growth is still up there. Consumer spending is still supporting different businesses. Business earnings in many sectors remain robust. And so... That kind of gives you the impression about where we are in terms of a landing. There's been lots of talks of landings, whether there's no landings or soft landings or or hard landings. But it raises the overall question about where are we in the U.S. economy? And is it possible the economy is going to emerge from this period of rate hikes relatively unscathed? Or is there another shoe to drop in the future? You know, one of the things that I've been hearing that I found interesting is that Unlike many other countries around the world, we have fixed mortgage rates in the U.S. Uh, largely, and that many U.S. homeowners are financed at 3%. They have jobs, uh, they have wage growth, and they have no intention of moving and trading a 3% mortgage for a 7% mortgage anytime soon if they can avoid it. And what this has led to is a sense of you know interest rates not having affected their mortgage costs, having a job having wage growth, so being confident that they can go out and spend, which of course props up 70% of the US GDP, and therefore these interest rate hikes have kind of happened without a lot of impact on many areas of the US economy, the consumer in particular, which drives the, the majority of our output. So is this something that's going to change in the future, likely, or are we in a kind of no landing, soft landing situation in your view, and that we're going to actually come out of this in pretty decent shape? Well, objectively, well, I don't know if we can be objective. You know, uh, we've worked together for quite some time, Hugh, that I and my team tend to be 
on the grumpy pants side of outlooks. Never heard that. Never heard that. that. So uh, our predictions of two of the last one recessions notwithstanding, let's play out what the optimistic case looks like. So the gist of the bull case, the the no landing, I don't know if no landing is a good thing, but soft landing, no recession case is that there's an uninterrupted handoff from consumer spending supported by savings to consumer spending supported by wage growth with no hiccup, wage inflation low enough to fly under the Fed's radar and few spare workers available. And all of this will happen with monetary policy rates rising the fastest since the early 1980s, major benchmark rates at their highest levels since pre-global financial crisis, and mortgage rates almost back to pre-2001 tech bus levels. And all of that could happen. And actually, we do think our clients and businesses should consider that as a planning scenario. But if we think about some of the second and third order consequences of that scenario, for one, is it likely that the Fed lowers rates in that scenario? And the answer is no, they're more likely to stick to higher for longer if it's working, right? Particularly in a, that sort of no, rosy scenario. Next, does it imply that the yield curve stays inverted, which is bad for banks, or that it de-inverts? And if the latter and the Fed stays where it is, the implications for 10-year rates that would imply 10 years have to move above 5.5%, and that would have an impact on mortgages. Now, you you rightly point out that the U.S. mortgage holder is not nearly as exposed to variable rates in mortgages as our friends in the U.K., for example. And so that's less likely to have the sort of immediate impact on households spent. Right? That's a theoretical spend number. If mortgage rates are higher and you've locked in a 30-year fixed mortgage at 3 4 5%, then you're not going to be feeling the brunt of that pain. Of course, there are secondary consequences about labor movement and job availability, some of which are mitigated by more remote work and more working flexibility. But it does mean that the generation coming up through the ranks, the millennial, the younger swath of millennials, Gen Z, will find home ownership even less affordable and the cost of living less affordable than it was. So there are real impacts there. And in the US has more younger people than our friends on the continent do. So that has a broader impact. That's just one example. But our broader point is that the rosier end of consensus isn't really looking past a quarter or two. And our view over the last couple of years isn't that there are no paths that seem good for a while, but that given how dislocated the economy has become, those good paths start to create their own challenges. And to us, this partly explains why there's been something of a schizophrenic vacillation between optimism and pessimism over the past year. I feel like consensus. Have you ever seen one of those videos of the wildebeest migration and the Serengeti from above and you see the whole herd like go running off to the left and then running off to the right? Uh, It feels like we've been trampled in the middle of that herd by not moving in either direction for some time. But I think the challenge is simply the knock-on impacts and some of the effects of of these huge changes and distortions are really hard to see through beyond a quarter or two. 
Okay, so I have actually seen some of those videos of the wildebeest migrations, and what I've learned is that they're very good for crocodiles and lions, and occasionally <laughs> good for some of the wildebeest. So that says to me there's still some potential problems in the macro situation out there that we need to monitor closely going forward. Yes, although I love that note because I think of a lot of our investor clients as those lions, where if you have the patience and you watch the herd run, if you put yourself in a good stocking position, there are actually some very tasty wildebeest out there in terms of deals to run on if you have that conviction for the plumb line. And in many respects, and Bain's work has shown this in corporate America, that those who can lean in during downturns tend to gain share. And investors, as we saw during the financial crisis, the ones that were the bolder first movers as the economy turned were willing to take a risk of moving before everyone else actually really benefited from that conviction. So tasty wildebeest await for the lions in the audience. I like the fact that you see our clients as lions and not the wildebeest. It's much, much better <laughs> to be a lion in those, in those films. On the next episode of Drive Hunter, Karen and I will discuss the expanding role of the state in the marketplace. Constructive engagement with government is going to be a core skill of business executives in this next cycle. I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.